Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and thanks for joining me today. We're going to talk today about what matters most. I'm very passionate to share this with you today. You know, I believe that the decisions we make, the trouble we often experience in our life, the stress we live under, is often as a result that how we're living is not aligned with what's actually most important to us in our life. And it creates all this pressure and all this stress. and We end up getting to a place we don't want to be in. And so that's what we're here to talk about today. Now, one of the reasons I decided to talk on this today was I have just met with thousands of people in a one-on-one capacity. If I do an event and I do a meet and greet near the end of the event, it might be three or four hours, three, four hundred people. I've had dozens of interactions with people on a one-on-one basis, whether it be board members, whether it be business leaders, and just people who are high-achieving people who are really pursuing what they want in life and yet many times end up in a spot they don't want to be in. And to a larger extent, I see so many people who just have so many knots in their rope, if you know what I mean. I'm talking about the knots we get in our rope by just being so uptight and out of sight, so stressed out. And the reason being is that we're we're living on a day-to-day basis in a way that doesn't align with what we truly want and where we really want to go. There's a term that's very commonly used in the personal development business called dissonance, cognitive dissonance, and how it's a powerful thing. You set a goal, you create a vision of where you want to be, and it creates a little bit of stress inside for you that you go and pursue it. You know, the great Lou Tice, the first one ever to help me set a goal that changed my life. And Lou would have you write out your goals out in the future. So you pick a date out in the future. You'd write the goal as if it had already happened. You'd write it in the past tense as if you were describing what has happened to a best friend. And now what's happening is you're actually visualizing and picturing what could be. And then Lou would have you write out, well, what are the benefits of achieving this goal? And then what are the consequences of not achieving this goal? And it becomes very, very visceral, very powerful stuff. What I'm going to say to you is the reason why that works is that it works at a very deep, unconscious level to create a picture in our mind that we work towards. My old mentor, Jim Rohn, used to say, you go to work on your goals, and then your goals go to work on you. That's what he means. Well, there's another dynamic to that, which is the flip side, which is what I'm going to talk about today. And that is, there are things that you value. There are things that you have stated and communicated to people, even communicated to yourself that are important to you. This is what I value. This is what I believe. This is what I'm all about. This is what I'm working for. But then there's this tremendous dissonance and stress because it may not be what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. You may be living contrary to what you value or even what your values are, and it creates this tremendous stress. It creates this dissonance. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about a concept here of what matters most. Now, understand this. I don't want to be like the reformed smoker who, when he smells smoke, becomes you know, a complete lunatic in telling other people off, about how terrible smoking is when they've done it most of their life. I have spent a good portion of the first 50 years in my life tying a lot of knots in my own rope. I love uh, when Thomas Jefferson says, uh, when you reach the end of your rope, tie a knot in it and hang on. Those are not the kind of knots I'm talking about. I'm talking about the knots we get in our rope by just being so stressed out. I've always been a, a very driven guy from a very young age. I was in an environment where there didn't seem to be a lot of hope for that drive, and so it produced an even greater sense of drive. I emigrated to America, where there was a lot of opportunity, and then I had some very difficult circumstances to overcome that probably intensified my drive. And then, you know, going through life and being an ambitious guy and building a business and pioneering an industry, as we have in the business coaching side of things, and built this big company and, you know, with all these clients all over the world, and then being married and having six kids and all of those things and traveling a lot and still being very driven. I've experienced a lot of things. And some of the things I want to talk to you today, I'm still an ambitious guy. I'm still a driven guy. But when I let my goatee grow, I have some gray hair there. I have a lot of snow on the roof, if you will, 
in my still very thick head of hair. Thank you to the Irish heritage on that. And you know what? Sometimes it's helpful to have a little grey hair and have a little bit of experience. I know a great quote says, never trust a man without scars. Well, I'm very trustable. I have a lot of scars. Some are life-inflicted, some are circumstance-inflicted, and some are self-inflicted. And out of it, I would be willing to say today, I'm living a pretty good life, and I want to share some things about what I'm doing, but also the main reason I'm living the good life is because I've been a student. I've been a student, I've been an observer, I've studied successful people, I've had the chance to be mentored and coached and brought along, I have people who have influenced me, who influence me to this day, and I'm going to kind of boil some of this stuff down for you today. I'm going to share with you a couple of anecdotes, and I'll share with you a couple of stories, and to be honest with you, some of the stories I'm going to share are cautionary tales of what not to do. And it keeps coming to the forefront. So I would say this particular message today has been gnawing at me for the past year to share with you guys today. So bear with me. I hope this is helpful for you. My goal today would be to comfort the afflicted and to maybe afflict the comfortable. And at least challenging your thinking for you. I'm not going to tell you what matters most to you. I'm going to share with you some of what matters most to me and how I go about putting that into my life and making sure that that dissonance of what I value and what I believe actually shows up in my schedule, shows up in my checkbook, shows up in what I do and how I do it. And so that's the dynamic. If I was to look at your schedule, if I was to look at your day timer or your app or your scheduling app, your wall calendar, if I was to look at your checkbook, would I be able to see from where you spend your time and where you spend your money where your heart is and what you value. And that's really what this is about. And it'll never be perfect, but the goal is that we want to get these things closer and closer together. And so then the dissonance starts to go down. So I'm going to share with you a cautionary tale. From time to time, I I don't have a huge amount of space in my life for one-on-one mentoring or counseling or that kind of stuff. I have a company that does that, and we do it with thousands of people. So that's how I give back in my business life. But on occasion, in life's journey, I have relationships with different people. And so I had this one person, a friend of mine, ask me to go speak to a friend of theirs. Very successful business guy. Owns a small business. Went to meet with him. Had lunch. Toured his facility. He had an excellent practice. uh, Really had it going on. Cutting edge business. Had his finger on the pulse. Doing very well. Neat fella. Good character. Nice family. I mean, just a good guy. On his way, doing well. So during a conversation, I'm asking him, you know, okay, what's important to you? What's driving you? What motivates you these days? And he whipped out his phone, and he showed me a picture on his cell phone of a yacht parked in San Diego Harbor. This wasn't a boat. This is a yacht. This is one of those $125 million jobbers that has its own crew and the chef and the whole thing. I said, okay, well, tell me about that. He goes, oh. He said, I just so want to be there. I just see myself. I'm visualizing. I'm affirming. I'm doing, you know, here's self-improvement one-on-one. He's doing all the stuff. Okay. That weekend, he had gotten his wife, who's, you know, these guys are in their 40s, and they have, you know, a couple of teenage kids, and he got a small boat, like a little speedboat for the day, and cruised around San Diego Harbor, and was, like, circling around this yacht now again a lot of people do this visualization and dreaming and all that stuff and whatever else i'm not canning any of that and i'm not saying this guy had a bad goal but i asked him a couple of questions because here's the thing i've been on this journey for a long time and i've been fortunate to have some blessings like that and i'm like well what's it going to do for you how's it going to be when you get there what's it going to be like when you own the boat and you have the boat and you have all the expenses of the boat and all that kind of stuff but what is that going to do for you and he had a hard time articulating but it was driving all his decisions 20 minutes later into the conversation i find out he's got this hair-brained i mean real risky idea he's trying to pitch me on so it wasn't just a simple little come down and have a lunch meeting brian which you know i get pitched a hundred times a month on how i can invest my money And it always starts out with the classic, nobody's ever done this before. You know, sometimes there's a reason nobody's ever done something before. And so he says, nobody's ever done this before. And he starts laying it out. And again, he's a nice guy. I'm there. I'm going to give him the time and energy. But very early on, I mean, there's just alarm bells all over this thing. I see where the threats are. I see where the big companies are already in play on this stuff. I know somebody who's already 
part of a publicly traded company that's on a board that they're already working on this very thing that this guy says is the groundbreaking floor and th- these guys have almost got it finished and if they he did get it going he's going to get swallowed up and chewed up alive and i'm just sitting here and i got the alarm bells going but i'm just being quiet listen to him and then he tells me he's taken out a 22 percent hard money loan borrowed against his house and his business to go pursue this really really shaky flaky maybe one percent chance of working i'm an optimist so i would say this thing had a percent chance and i'm sitting here i feel like i'm watching a child walking across the freeway when the cars are going 60 miles an hour 70 miles an hour like it's inevitable what i'm seeing it's inevitable what's coming it's inevitable there's just basic rules that have been broken and this and any other. And again, you know, oh, yeah, you know, what about Fred Smith and the founder of FedEx and he couldn't make payroll and he flew to Vegas and he put it all on black and he made enough money to go. Here's the thing. FedEx was a brilliant concept. It was a sound idea. It was an existing business. It had some great stuff. I'm not in trying to throw cold water on people having ideas. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've owned 47 businesses, for the goodness sakes. But after you do a bit of this, you learn a few things. And bottom line was, without question, this guy's about to plow into a brick wall at high speed, at a high rate of debt, probably put serious pressure on his home, serious pressure on his business, and bring serious pressure on his family. And he's a good guy who I think has lost sight of what matters most. Because here's what I can tell you. I've had my own private jet for 17 years. Loved every flight. Sold it last week. You know what I sold it last week? doesn't affect me one bit because my identity and my image is not tied up in that blooming thing. It was a fantastic way for me to be in two places at one time, for me to go do what I do for a living. I'd go do a seminar in Houston. I'd be home and have dinner with the kids. I could go and do a seminar in Virginia and took the kids in at night and read them a bedtime story when they were small. That's what it was to me. And I loved it. I had a great time with it. But I didn't have my identity tied up in it. And when I started digging deep, here is a guy that's doing a lot of the things right, a lot of things that my podcast and other podcasts and other books and other seminars will tell you to do. Set a goal, make it a stretch, you know, affirm it, believe it, pursue it. Not a, yeah, great. The key is, it all this stuff has to be aligned with what matters most. I'm giving you an example. And you go, well, that's not my story. I don't have a yacht. What do you have? What do you have? What are you grinding on every single day? What's your mind grinding on every single day? And what sometimes are we missing out on is this thing called the precious present. Again, I'm not trying to be today's Debbie Downer, but I would also tell you that in the last 90 days that three people that I know that are quality individuals that have so much talent and so much going for them, so much life ahead of them, ended their life. It's just crushing. It's crushing to see. And it's always gets back to this concept of what matters most and how we lose our perspective And then all of a sudden we're chasing after something else that might be uncatchable, that might be unattainable. And by the way, when you get there, maybe the emptiest thing you ever experienced in your life. I have had the experience of once I get here, I'll be that. I've had those many times in my life. Once I get here, I'll be that. Once I get here, I'll feel this way about myself. Once I get there, I'll have made it. I can't tell you how many times I got there. I'm a doer. I'm a grinder. And I got there and it wasn't much what I thought. Brett Favre a few years ago. He's standing on the podium being handed the Super Bowl trophy and he said the confetti's falling, there's 80,000 people, there's 300 million watching and he said it was the loneliest, emptiest feeling of his life because as they put the trophy in his hand he said to himself is that it? There's an awful lot of people have had that experience. Oh by the way, an awful lot of people who've had that experience and said it out loud are people who've achieved Today, I want to do this. I want to give you a balance. I want you to be driven. I want you to be ambitious. I want you to pursue your goals and dreams. I want you to get everything your hearts desire. I would love that for you. And I would also like you to be in such a place that by the time you get there, you not only enjoy where you get, but you enjoy the heck out of the journey. And it's what you really want. So I'm going to give you some how-tos today to help you analyze for yourself what really matters most to you so that you can be in a place where what you're working towards and what you're striving for and what you're sacrificing for is really what you want. So, three points. I often have three points to these. 
is to figure out what matters most and how to live what matters most. It's about priorities, it's about principles, and it's about a plan. There you go. I sound like one of those old-time preachers there with the three points and they all begin with the same letter. Anyway, priorities. So a priority, according to Mr. Webster, is something given special or prior attention to. Another definition would be it's a thing that is regarded as more important than another. So what are your priorities? Okay. Now there's three ways to go through this. What I value, what I need, and what I want. Okay. And so these become your priorities, and then they become a verb. So it goes from being a noun to a verb, because then you go from these are my priorities to this is what I prioritize. And that's what I'm all about. I'm all about not just tickling your ears here, doing these types of things. I'm interested in impacting and improving your life positively and giving you some things that you can take action on. So what I value, what I need, and then what I prioritize. Okay, people like Stephen Covey, right? Stephen Covey wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People at 57. Why? Because he had to have lived a bit of life and had a bunch of experiences and had been out there for years and years and years and years and years and then he wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People okay uh, Zig Ziglar Zig Ziglar was 47 years of age when he started public speaking you know in the world we live in today somebody's vining on Tuesday blogging on Wednesday and they're on The Celebrity Apprentice on a Friday and then their best selling book comes out the following Friday and you know we're supposed to just run after that and say yeah that's great and you have someone who's learning on the job, and you're learning on their time as well. So it helps to have a few scars. It helps to have a bit of gray hair on the roof here. Stephen Covey said, the key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. And we're going to get into that today. Okay? So first of all, what do I value? Value is a person's standards of behavior. It's a person's judgment of what's important in life. Now, I'm going to go over this again, because this is a big deal. And in the world we live in today... Anybody who talks in terms of principles and values, the next thing that's going to come up because our ears are so in tune with offense. Everything is about offense, taking offense. We have people who have become almost militant in the enforcement of political correctness. And then now what we have is a movement that's so contrary to political correctness, it's crude and seems to have no civility. And this is kind of the environment we're in today. There was just yesterday in the recent tennis tournament, and a guy who's been 30 years, a beautiful guy, he's done great work, brought tennis to the inner cities, and he said a word which could be misconstrued, and all of a sudden the social media lines up, and this guy needs to be fired immediately, and yada, 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 yada. It's not what he said, it's not what he implied, but it's become something. So when I say, what do I value? That's what for you to decide. I know what I value, and I'm very comfortable telling you what I value. I have no problem. I'm not looking for anyone else's approval on what I value. I'm asking you, what do you value? What are the standards of behavior or one's judgment of what's important in life? Now, here's a little double-edged sword on your values. The minute you say, this is what I do and this is what I don't, or I value this more than that, so you're talking about an objective standard as opposed to subjective do whatever you please, everything's okay, kids, you can do whatever. There is not a lot of subjectivity in my home, for example. My kids know what mom and I believe is this is right and that's not. There's not a lot of discussion on that. They can develop as human beings, they develop their own thought life, and they can develop into their own households and develop their own values. But in our home, these are the values we hold to, and it's very clear. But I want to share with you is that what you value, whether you're intentional about it or unintentional about it, that the word judgment I just mentioned, it's going to happen. Now, for example, you have to be so committed to your values that when other people's judgment of you comes, you understand that that's part of it, that's the price you pay, but this is what I value. Now, the other side to this coin, there's actually several sides to this, more like a dice than a coin. The other side to this is that most people haven't clearly defined what they value, And so because of that, when they take action, their actions are subject to judgment. And now, all of a sudden, the person sometimes can't handle the consequences of that. And I'm going to give you an example. I live in San Diego, California. We have had a football team in San Diego for 56 years called the San Diego Chargers. So there's been all this back and forward on trying to get a stadium built and whatnot. 
and there's political stuff involved and huge money involved and there's bigger money up in LA bigger market bigger media market so on and so forth so the team's been trying to you know maneuver its way that way and so on and so forth and it wasn't well led the owner of the team didn't do a great job leading it he thought he had a deal with the NFL the NFL owners didn't back him but in the meantime he kind of dirtied his trail here in San Diego so he tries to come back to San Diego make a deal with the voters and the people and the people are like nah you kind of blew this still willing to work with them but now you're not going to get what you want we'll give you this other thing over here okay so they recently made a decision to move to LA now the owner of the team has the right to do that it's free market free system part of the challenge for these guys in the NFL is that a city finds its identity in it it's not called the Dean Spanos Chargers they're called the San Diego Chargers and there's a lot of people that helped that franchise which was worth 50 million dollars is now worth 2 billion dollars well that was done in this here town there's tons of people who have employment through it there's hundreds of thousands of people who are walking around with the jerseys they have the bumper stickers and the San Diego Chargers are their home team they support and there's all this stuff that's built up around it so the Chargers want to be successful nothing wrong with that the Chargers want to make money nothing wrong with that so what happened recently is they made this move to go to LA and on the surface of it uh, long term I can absolutely see how they're going to make more money but the owner of the team came out recently and said well I'm kind of uh, offended by some of these comments and some of the people's reaction to us making a move now I'm gonna say this I couldn't tell you I have no people in the organization I've read all their literature on the subject I know people actively involved I couldn't tell you the value of why they're making the decisions they're making and so because of that they're subject to judgment it wasn't articulated it wasn't communicated I'll be honest with you I don't even know if they thought it through they're actually gone to a city that doesn't want them and leaving a city that really does want them so what are they gonna get Dean Spanos the owner came out on radio the other day and said I don't like this feedback I you know I'm a person you know this stuff hurts and that that so that says he wants to be liked, he wants to be appreciated, he wants to be valued, he wants to be loved. So one of his values is he wants to be loved. He has this other value that he wants to make money. So here's what happened. One of those values was stronger than another. So he made a decision of I want to make money more than I, I want to be appreciated and valued and be a pillar in the community. And so what has he got? he will make more money in the next 20 years of being in LA. That team might even win a Super Bowl and do all this kind of stuff whenever else. What are the costs of that? He's probably lost his good name. The owners in the NFL, you know, the respect they have for him, they said, well, this was an act of desperation. The people in LA, they showed him and his team on the Jumbotron at the Laker game the other day, and the stadium booed them because they don't want them. So here's the thing I'm going to give to you. And again, I don't know all the facts of the situation. I'm not the perfect expert on this whole thing. Here's the point I'm trying to bring up to you. In both of these cautionary tales I just told you today, is that there are a series of unintended consequences because I don't believe the priorities are properly established by what I value. What do I value most? The entrepreneur who wants the yacht, he wants the yacht, but I think he wants his family more. I think he wants peace of mind more. I think he wants growth more. I think he wants enthusiasm and excitement more. When he gets there, what the price he might pay. He might lose his wife. He might lose his kids. He might lose his home. He might lose his business. Now, let's say he doesn't lose any of that, but he gets the yacht. But the price that he paid was he damages all the other stuff. I'll tell you what. Out in the water. Now, it might be enough for him. And you can say, great, good for him. All I'm asking is, what do you value? What do you value? Before you make the decisions. Dean Spanos owns a charge. I don't know the whole circumstance. I'm here making a judgment. Why? Because the values haven't been clearly articulated. But the fact is, what he's getting is an awful lot of what it seems like he doesn't want. It seems like he's entered into an extremely stressful season, an extremely difficult season that's going to go on for a long time. And the one thing he's going to get is money. And I don't know that money is, at the end of the day, the highest of values. One of the richest men who ever lived, arguably the richest man who ever lived, was King Solomon. And King Solomon said, there's something greater than great riches. And he said, it's a good name. It's a good name. You know, that's not something we don't talk about very much anymore, do we? Social media and all the different stuff going on out there in the marketplace. What's your good name worth? Do you value your good name? 
I know this. In my world growing up as a kid, my grandfather would ask me, can you put your name to that, Brian, when I was talking about the work. He was communicating his values onto me. Now, again, you might be thinking, man, what has got into Buffini today? What is going on? I'm looking for a little lift. I'm looking for a little motivation. I'm looking for a little enthusiasm. All I'm going to say to you is I own, I don't know if it's the largest business coaching company in the world. I just don't know of a larger one. Let me put it that way. We have tens of thousands of clients in dozens of countries. We have great experience with working with a lot of folks. And here's what I'm going to say to you. I have seen firsthand the consequences of people who unintentionally are not living by their values are not living for what they truly, truly believe is important. And the stress and the pressure and the pain that comes from that is huge. On the flip side, so what is the happy place here? When you live by your values, you're willing to fight the good fight. For example, 85% of my clientele live in the real estate and lending space. So when the worldwide economic meltdown of the last Great Recession came, the largest coaching company in the space got to experience the very same pain as its customers. So when I was having to write huge checks every month to invest back into my own corporation during these very difficult times, it wasn't simple, but it was easy. You see, when your values are clear, your decisions are easy. I had to make huge investments back into my company. Why? Because my values were clear. My wife and I had made a commitment from day one why we were doing what we were doing. And so when the stuff hit the fan, and stuff always hit the fan in your life and in your business, you know what your values are and you're willing to fight through it. You're willing to fight through it. You know what you're fighting for. And so when you know what you're fighting for, it makes it easier to persevere. It makes it more likely that you'll endure. And then when you win, it brings with it a deeper sense of joy and a deeper sense of alignment. That's what I'm after for you. So first, what do I value? Second is, what do I need? What do I need? Once you know what's important to you, then what is it you actually need? You'll find that you don't need very much. You know, in in our world today, we have so much, especially those of us who live in the Western Hemisphere, we have so much going on for us. And any developed country in the world has so much. America, the poverty line in the United States, is in the top 20% of income generators in the whole world. The poor in America are rich everywhere else. So what do we actually need? When you start making a list of what do I need, you'll find out it's quite simple. When you make a list of what do you actually need, you'll find yourself feeling less stress. Oftentimes we get caught up in, oh, I need that car, or I need this, or I, want, I need the bigger house. Well, that's not really a need. And you'll, when you start digging in there, you know, you got the pressure from conformity, you got the pressure from comparison. When you go through those things and you figure out what you need, it's a lot simpler than you think. You know, we always love the Rolling Stones. You can't always get what you want. But if you try sometime, you just might find you get what you need. Love that. It turns out Mick Jagger at 73, he needed another baby. How about that? Fair play to him. See, I love that. That's awesome. Fair play to you. Rock on, Mickey. Here's the thing. That's great. That's what that fellow wants to do. That's what he values. That's what's important to him. Those things are aligned. You go for it. And that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying an owning a boat or owning a jet or any of those things. Nothing wrong with any of those things. Not absolutely not. They're great. Great. But at what price? What do I value? Then what do I need? Then you get into what do I want? And a want is a desire. Okay? A need is a requirement. A want is a desire. To have a desire to possess or do something is a want. Okay? Jim Rohn, you say, when you know what you want and you want it bad enough, you'll find a way to get it. You'll find a way to get it. Now, Here's a little asterisk on this, and again, a little bit of snow on the roof. I wouldn't have known this. Is with the change of seasons in your life, what you want is going to radically change. That's just important. What I want out of life today is very different than what I wanted out of life at 25 or 35. Probably even very different than what I wanted out of life five years ago. This podcast would not exist if I hadn't developed in in certain ways in what I wanted. It's just a dynamic, and you have to understand that you're going to have different wants in different seasons. And sometimes people beat themselves up because, for example, their relationship with their spouse, significant other partner, 
you know, they had a scenario where, oh, this is when I first fell in love, this is how I felt, and this is what I want, and so on and so forth. And you go into a different season of life, and many times people lament, oh my gosh, but it's, it's not like how it was when we were first together. It's not supposed to be. Okay? It's not supposed to be. You know, third grade desks are small. They're that small because you're not supposed to fit in them when it's the 10th grade. Okay? You know, an acorn gets planted, it becomes a, you know, a sapling. A sapling is different than a giant oak. It's different seasons. It's supposed to be different. And so you have to understand that your wants are going to change with the different seasons of life you're in. And sometimes we get, again, that conflict, that internal stress, that distance. Go back to what do I value? Go back to what do I need? And it's okay to want something different today than you wanted five years ago. Again, zig says you can have everything in life you want if you help enough people get what they want. That, that's a great mindset for service and for growth and for living. And again, that's the perspectives of someone who's been on the planet a little bit longer. You start to see those things more clearly. So, what do I value? What do I need? What do I want? That will help you establish your priorities. And out of those priorities you'll be able to give special attention to something that you say, no, this is what's truly important to me. This is what's truly important. This is what's important to me. This is what's important to us. This is great for a, a relationship. This is great for a family. This is fantastic for a business. What do I value? You know, what do we value as a business? What do we need? It's interesting. Our company uh, recently, one of the things I talk about is I value the ability to impact people over an extended period of time. And so... In the culture we live in today, that's harder and harder to do because, you know, our attention span is dropping. People get bored easily. You know, the, people get addicted to the new and the next. And so I'm looking for long-term relationships with people that we can invest in. So this last year, we developed a program where we put huge money and huge resources and built a program called The Blitz, which was an investment back into our membership that we said, yeah, you don't have to pay anything, you pay anything else. You're already paying. We're happy to serve you. We are taking our level of service to you to a whole nother level and to give back to our existing clients. Well, what do you think's happened? The level of engagement's off the charts. People are crawling in left, right, and center to come and be a part of us. There's sales records happening all over the building that never happened before. And what did we do? We focused more on helping our clients get what they want and we did it with that in mind and held it with an open hand. And guess what? We're getting more of what we want. So, uh, again, I know it works. I know it's worked in my life. I've been studying people who have been sharing their wisdom for thousands of years in many different capacities. I just want to make sure that whatever you're pursuing, it's what is what you value, what you need, and what you want. A neat little quote I have is, it's not an issue of wants versus needs. It's an issue of wants versus priorities. And that's the beauty you go back to the top of the list, okay? You go back to the top of the list. So the first thing we were going to talk about was priorities. The second thing we're going to talk about is principles. You might say, well, isn't a priority a principle what I value? There's some closeness there. There should be, but they are separate. A principle is a fundamental truth or a proposition that serves as the foundation for a system of belief or behavior or even a chain of reasoning. So it's the foundation of a system of belief behavior and reasoning what are the principles right and so i'll give you a little criteria here that you can ask yourself and again these are great things because i don't believe that for the first time in your life you're hearing about what you value i know you have values it's just as life is so busy and compressed go back and reassess what do i value what do i need what do i want so in the principle side of things it starts with what i believe what i've learned and what I live. Now, this is really big stuff. And it sounds great, doesn't it? What I believe, what I've learned, what I live. You know, you, you think about those things. There's great alignment there. And if you're listening to this in your car, don't be writing it down and getting into traffic problems. Listen to it again when you can write down a few notes. So, again, Thomas Jefferson, all right? You know, you go to Washington, D.C., you'll see a big old memorial to him. He said, in matters of style, swim with the current. In matters of principle, stand like a rock. In matters of style, swim with the current. In matters of principle, stand like a rock. And so I love that. And so principles are what I believe. You know, that's basically 
it can be the confidence in something or someone. It can be uh, that belief of uh, an acceptance or a statement that something that is true. What's true? What's true to you? What's true in your life? C.S. Lewis uh, used to say, we are what we believe we are. And very similarly to that, uh, Paulo Coelho, who wrote The Alchemist, said, you are what you believe yourself to be. You know, what do I believe? You know, what do I believe about myself? What do I believe, like the value of work? I mean, there's people right now, there's 50% of millennials polled uh, in 2016 said they don't believe the American dream is available to them. And I can understand that. We have a higher percentage of people living at home. Uh, it's the first time in a, a generation we have people who are not five years removed from college, are not making more than their parents made at that same time. I can see where there could be some challenges. You see what's going on with social media, see what's going on culturally, all these different things. But here's the thing. You have to choose to believe that. You have to choose to believe that the future is not as bright for you as it was for your parents. Now, I happen to have six millennials that call me dad. And I can tell you this, none of them believe it. None of them believe that. So it's a matter of what you believe. What do you believe about and what do you believe in? Do you have something to believe in? I know I do, you know, for me. And I, I make no apologies for it. Like, I know what I believe. I'm not preaching at you. I was like, you know, I talked to someone the other day who was distraught over the recent elections and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, my hope is not in who's in the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., one way or the other. You know, my hope's in heaven. <laughs> you know, I love the line in the movie Rudy where the kid is stressed out and he's trying to get into the school and he's doing everything he can. He's trying hard, trying hard. And he goes to see this old priest that's about to retire. And the priest says, son, what's going on? He goes, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. And the kid's just totally stressed out. And the kid said, is there any more I can do? And the old priest says to him, son, I'm 40 years of theological study. I've learned two things. There is a God and I'm not him. Great stuff, you know. And so I know what I believe. I know what I believe about God. I know what I believe about life. I know what I believe about myself. I know what I believe about people. Of course, I reinvest back into my clientele. Why? Because I believe in the goodness of people. I believe that if I exceed my customers' expectations, do more for them than I promised, that they are going to be not only more loyal to me, but they're going to tell their friends. And telling their friends is better than any marketing that I can pay for on digital media, on social media. I could run Super Bowl ads for millions of dollars or I could have my customers talking to their friends about us. I believe that. So that's how my actions show up. That's how our company runs. That's what I believe. I'm not asking you to believe that. I'm just asking you to write down on a sheet of paper for yourself what you do believe. So the first principle is what I believe. The second thing is what I've learned. You know, many of you listening to this podcast, you'd be a great interview. And you probably don't even think it. What I've found is that most people have a story, and not just a story, a great story. In fact, most people that have a great story don't think they have, A, a story at all, B, it's not worth telling, and C, the things that's most interesting about their story are the things they would never want to tell anybody. They're the things that would be the most difficult, maybe the most trying, sometimes the most embarrassing. Inspirational stories are only inspirational if somebody had a crash. If somebody had a fall, if somebody went through difficult times, if somebody had some tragedy take place, all these inspirational movies, they don't just, uh, you know, it's not Sunday school milk toast. It's all these great challenges. And that's one of the things about it. I, in our company, we love telling our clients stories. Most of these clients that we tell their stories in videos and other things that we do, they have fantastic stories and none of them think they do. And the part of their story that's actually most helpful to someone else is usually a mistake they made or something that happened that they're not real happy about or even proud of or sometimes embarrassed about. Again, the reason I think I'm of value to so many of you folks here today is I've tried a lot of stuff and I've, oh my goodness, if I was to give you a podcast on all the things I tried and failed in, you'd need a heck of a lot more time than I normally take on a podcast. So what I've learned, what information have you gained or acquired? Maybe you learned certain skills by experience or maybe you've been a student of life or been a student in regards to getting yourself not whether formal but also informal education what have you learned the great brian tracy says commit yourself to lifelong learning the most valuable asset you'll ever have is your mind and what you put into it i did a podcast which was episode 11 which was a short little funny story i told 
And basically, the three things that I've learned in 50 years was trust more, worry less, and enjoy the journey. You know, I'll tell you what, guys, what I've learned is now come and been elevated to what I believe. And that's a little statement I say to myself all the time in the form of an affirmation. So not some affirmation I read in a book and you should say this and you can grow flowers in your backyard. It's, I say this because this is what I've learned. And by the way, I've learned this the hard way. Experience is often when you get an awful lot of what you don't want. So I have to learn and I have learned to trust more, to worry less and to enjoy the journey. And I can actually tell you this. I can actually tell you for the first time in my life, I'm actually practicing those three things. Honest to God. And that's recent history here. That's less than a year in my life that I really can feel myself having a deeper sense of trust throughout the day. I don't feel the need to control things. I don't need to influence things. I don't need to, if it is to be, it's up to me. I don't feel that. I'm trusting in my life. By the way, my staff's happy about that because if I'm trusting myself, I'm trusting my life, I'm also trusting them and I'm empowering people to do an even better job in it. I'm getting greater creativity and productivity from many people around me. Why? Because I trust them to do what they do. I'm worrying less, not rotisserizing these different things of what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, right? That's about control and fear. That's all that. It's like rotisserizing your mind. What if this happens? What if that happens? And now I just, I say it all the time to myself. And then enjoying the journey. And I've, I haven't enjoyed my life as much as I have in recent times because of these three things. So I'm taking what I've learned and now reapplying it to my own life. Here's what's more important. I'm just using myself as an example here. But I, I'm asking you, what have you learned? These are great little exercises to do. Get some classical, soft, Baroque-style music and sit down with a sheet of paper. Find somewhere really kind of neat that's nice, peaceful, something with some good nature, something that's good to look at or a real quiet part of your house. And start asking yourself, what do I value? What do I need? What do I want? Then what do I believe? And then what have I learned? And then thirdly here, what I live what I live and for me uh, you know the phrase we have around here is called the good life the good life is a powerful thing you know our logo of our company is like these five interlocking circles not quite a, an Olympic theme but it's similar in its own dynamic but it's it represents the spiritual life it represents family and relationships is another circle another circle would be your business and career another circle would be your financial life and then the last circle would have your, your physical and emotional well-being. And the good life is applying these things of what I believe and what I've learned into this good life. So when you find yourself, and again, the, the word I'm asked all the time is how do you have balance? And I just want to address that at this time. A balance, by the very nature of that question, is a destination. And I don't really believe in balance. What I believe is balancing. You know, I don't know how much work to do until I know I've done too much. It's a balancing act. And there's different seasons in your life. When we had our twins, you know, my wife is this Olympic athlete. She's a workout fiend. She very organized day and yada, yada. When the twins came, they took over our life. We already had four kids, and now we got twins at the end. And twins are, they don't want to sleep at the same time. They don't want to eat at the same time. They're two of them. They outnumber you. You know, it's... It's unbelievable. And all of a sudden, you know, her routines went out the window and, and how we live went out the window. And she found herself frustrating. She found she's failing and she's not doing a good enough job as a mom and the other four kids. And, so, and I go, honey, okay, this is a balancing act right now. We're in a different season right now. Well, today the, the twins are almost 15 years of age. They require less minute-by-minute minute attention, let's say, than they did when they were three months old. We're in a different season. And so that balancing act needs to have, you need to give yourself the grace of what season of life you're in. And perfect doesn't live here. You know, I live the good life. I don't live the perfect life. I live the good life. Somewhere inside the good life, there's challenges. There's difficulties. There's setbacks. There's heartbreak. There's world events that take place that are hard to stomach. I mean, there's a lot of stuff goes on. Life is good. It's not always great. And so I live the good life, and I, I have the peace of that. And the reason I have a sense of peace of that is that I'm living by my values and I'm living, pursuing on the basis of what I need to what I want. I'm living what I believe. Not perfectly. Of course not. It's a balancing act. And I'm applying what I've learned. Sometimes I have to relearn those things, by the way, again. But it shows up in my life every day. That's the kind of where I want to finish up here today with some real practical stuff because that's what people know me for. 
once you know what your priorities are, once you've established your principles, then what you have to do is you put them into a plan. And this is where what you believe shows up in your daily life. Okay? A plan, by its Webster's definition, says it's an intention or decision, remember that word, about what one is going to do. So, to me, a plan is this is what's been decided and this is what I'm deciding to do. And the plans are very simple. It's the what, the how, and the when. The what, the how, and the when. Old Ben Franklin, you know, he achieved quite a lot in his life. He said, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. So, let's take a look at the plan. First of all, you know, what? The what is, what are you going to do? Well, I break this in my life, and you'll see how this shows up in the schedule in a minute. I start with the personal, and then I get to the professional. Now, in my life, for the majority of my adult life, my work life has dominated my life. I'm not going to say I'm a workaholic or have been a workaholic, but there's times when instead of working to live, I might have lived to work. That's certainly, uh, if I had things I did to excess, it would have been work. So, but I have always put the personal stuff first because I never wanted my relationships and the things I valued most to be a casualty to my work. So here's what we do in the Buffini home. Bev and I have a weekly meeting. We then do quarterly planning, and then we do an annual review. Now, that might sound a very corporate approach, but I'm going to tell you, when we have missed the meetings and haven't done this stuff, that's when the stress has been at its most difficult. That's when my wife and I have not been on the same page. That's where all the tension starts, because here's the woman that I love more than any other, who I want to spend the rest of my life with, We've been married for almost 27 years, and yet, here's all attention, and it gets into trouble with something as simple as, oh yeah, it's been three months since we had a sit-down. Not that we haven't gone on a date, or a this, or a that, but actually sat down with, you know, the calendars. What are we doing? We have a lot going on. We got six kids that are all super active and engaged, doing multiple things, and sporting activities, and yada, yada, and it's great. Love it all. But I haven't always loved the process of it when we haven't been on the same page. So we have a weekly meeting, what's going on, what are we doing, what's on the schedule. The quarterly planning is almost like a small amount of review. Man, how's this working out? There's times when we've had our kids in one activity and after a quarterly review we go, man, we're not renewing for the next quarter. That was chaos. That's just too much. We bit off more than we could chew. Has that ever happened to you? And you just give yourself the grace. Okay, we're going to do that. And then the annual review. One of the things we do for our annual review is I have my oldest daughter, Anna. We will actually make a list of all the things we did. She goes to everyone in the family's phone, downloads all the pictures and all the videos, and then she puts together every year a video, like a highlight reel of the year. It's phenomenal. So before we start saying what we need to improve and what we need to work on here and do that, we'll sit down and we'll review everything at the end of the year and we start with a highlight reel and it's oh my gosh I forgot about that oh is that this year oh that's amazing wow and we'll always say before we get into the meat of the meeting geez we've had a heck of a year what do we do in our meeting we have our own family's mission statement our family's mission statement is basically what we value and we have it written out we review it every year how did this year align with what we value okay how did it go and then, where did it hurt? What were the challenges that came up? What's working well? What's not? We'll always ask ourselves the question, what do we really want? What do we really want? And we keep asking and keep asking. I'll tell you, that is an ever-changing answer. And it gets slightly refined. It's only small tweaks. But what happens is, over time, it really gets sharply focused. Because when you find out what you want, you also know what you don't want, and you learn to say no and smile. I get 4,000 requests for speaking engagements a year. I take about three of them. I am given at least 100 business opportunities a month. I might take one a year. We have very athletic kids that are being asked all the time, can you participate in this team? Can you do that? Can you do this? Can you do that? Everybody's got a plan for us. Everybody's got an idea for us. Everybody's got a plan for our time, our money, our interests, our effort, everything. The thing is, if I don't have a plan for me and if we don't have a plan for us, we're in trouble. So that's what we review. So we do that personally. Professionally, now this will not rock your world, but guess what? We do a weekly meeting in the business. 
So there's a leadership team meeting at Buffini and Company. All the 16 different departments at the company are represented. And there's a weekly meeting. Everybody reports in. Here's what's working well. Here's what we got done this week. Here's what's coming up. Okay? We do a quarterly review system. So what happens is there's a thing called the chairman's report. So I'm the chairman of the board. So the CEO, my brother Dermot, who you heard on a recent podcast, and the CFO of the company, they meet with me for a half a day, and they review with me first the financials of the company, and it's once a quarter. And it's called the chairman's report. And we, what's working well? How are we doing? What are all the different financial implications? And then Dermot and I will meet, and we review everything that has been going on, and how does that match up with perhaps the long-term vision of what we're trying to achieve. One of the things that's been very, very helpful for us has been, again, a previous podcast, I think it was episode 31, which was the interview with Brian Moran, Moran, as you say in America, who wrote the runaway bestseller, The 12-Week Year, a fabulous, fabulous book. Well, we're not only using that as individuals, we're using that as a company. In fact, Brian Moran is actually consulting with our company to help us with our 12-week focus. And then we do an annual planning with the executive team and that is a very similar what's working well what were the highlights of the year similar to what I do with my own family what were the highlights what worked well what did we learn this year what's not working well what do we want and then compare that with perhaps the three to five year goal that's sitting out there that we have in mind of where we're trying to get to so that's a very very practical application of applying priorities and principles into your daily life, both personally and professionally. So I do that on a business level. I do that on a personal level. The next piece is the how-to, right? And so you get the what-to, now you get the how-to. Warren Buffett, he's done pretty well. I don't know if you know that. He's been actually buying a lot of companies lately, and he was asked at a recent conference what the key to productivity was. And he says the solution for productivity is training, systems, and motivation. So the how-to's, We need to commit as people that we can still grow, we can still learn. I have right behind me in my podcast studio, I have a brass plate that says Ancaro Imparo. That brass plate is a replica of what was in Michelangelo's studio. And what that says is, I am still learning. I am still learning. Michelangelo, who's one of the masters of all time in his craft in regards to the arts, he, to the day he died, said, I'm still learning. The how-tos, I would just say, is skill development, habit forming, development, growth, training, coaching. I read recently the International Coaching Federation did a study, and they said this was of employees who had participated in at least one year of coaching. So they went and applied. They paid money out of their own pocket to get a business coach. And it said 62% of employees did better in goal setting and achieving. 60% of employees received a more balanced life, okay? Because they were the how-to. 57% of the employees experienced the lowest levels of stress they'd had. 52% of people became more self-confident. 43% said they improved their quality of life. And 25% of the employees received more revenue. So this is, again, for a business owner, I think it's very clear. You grow yourself, you grow your business. But here was people actually working in a company who invested in self-development, and here were all the consequences, the positive consequences. So the what? Go do your planning meetings, weekly, quarterly, annual review. The how? It's your skills to pay the bills. That's what my friend Joe Nego said. That's what I always ascribe to. It's your skills to pay the bills. And you can be in self-development and growing and learning until the day you pass away. And I'm proud of all of you who are listening to this podcast. You're obviously the kind of person who's involved in self-development. You wouldn't be listening to this. You could be boogieing down to the 80 station on satellite radio or whatever. But you're listening to this with your free time, which I value and honor, and I hope this particular podcast is honored that. And then the last tip I want to give you here is when to do it. When to do it. So I'm going to give you, and again, this is an evolution of uh, my life, uh, but I want to share with you the calendar, how the calendar works in our home life, which the good life happens. I said, show me your checkbook and show me your calendar, and I'll tell you how you're living by your values. And so here's how we start. Number one, for Brian and Bev, when we're doing our calendar, this is the when, 
is we start with vacations. Now, vacations require a little more time and planning and preparation. So we start with vacations. A little tip is we typically book a vacation while on vacation. So when we're on vacation and we're all chilled out, relaxed, enjoying the heck out of it, that's when we book a vacation. It's hard once you get into the grind. We're going on a vacation here very soon, and a couple of our kids are like, but Dad, we're going to miss some practices. Now, we're the kind of people we never miss a practice, never miss a game, always commit when we're in. But what happens is we're involved in so many things, there's actually no time available in the schedule to do this stuff. So what does it mean? We have to actually say no to something else, cancel something else. We tell the people ahead of time before the season begins, this is when we're going on vacation. By the way, no one is going to enjoy the vacation more than the kids because when they're there. And by the way, when we're on vacation, that's when we'll be talking as a family and planning the next one. I'll start booking the trip for where we're going while on vacation. The second thing is we put our kids and our kids' commitments on the schedule. All right, So that's what we value. You don't have to do this, but this is how we do it. So we value our time together. In our home, we say, we spell love, T-I-M-E. That's how we spell love in our home, T-I-M-E. So the when is everything. So the vacations first, and then the kids' commitments. I've made decisions. I have turned down hundreds of thousands of dollars on occasions to say no to an event or a series of events because one of my kids' events was on the schedule. Now, you can say, gee, Brian, that's easy for you to say, you know, you're the guy and you have all this and you've achieved it now. But on the way up, let me tell you, on the way up is when I learned how to do this. When I was telling you we're in the teeth of the recession and I'm having to write checks to my own business with many, many, many zeros on them to help uh, infuse capital into my own corporation, I was turning down events and gigs and some high-paying opportunities to go do some things that were a higher priority to me with my kids. And they may have never even remembered I was there. It doesn't matter. It's what I value. It's what we value as a family. So vacations, kids' commitments. The third one, and this is something I had to develop. This wasn't maybe the first 10 years of my marriage, but I start writing in Bev time. Now, I have a gift from God. Her name is Beverly. And she is, you know, Lou Holtz used to give me a phrase about his wife. He said, I used to pray for her, now I pray to her. Okay, I could say that about Beverly. And so she is very low maintenance. She is totally devoted to our kids. Whatever they're into, she's into more. And what I find is, and what I found over time, is that she would not write herself into the script. And so what happens that is, she's very low maintenance, very easy going, but I would see the consequences of that. And so finally, I stepped up and said, "Hun, we're going to write you into the script. And I have these little things built into Beverly where I have her covered, or we have her covered, so that she can be written into the script. And it's amazing. Sometimes she goes and gets a facial in the middle of the day, and it's something small. It took an hour, and yada, yada. She's a new woman. So Bev time. The fourth thing would be Brian and Bev time. We have a great relationship. I'm going to say this to you. One of the things that happens to us is we get along so well that we can allow ourselves to, oh, we miss a date night. Yeah, we're going to go do this instead. Yeah, we miss the next date night. Not a problem. Because when we do get together, we're just magic. Well, guess what happens? When you don't do those things, the magic starts to become a little more tragic. How about that? So, Brian and Bev time. The next one, this is recent. This is recent. Brian time. This is very recent. This is the last 18 months. I would not write myself into the script. Now, I know logically that that doesn't make any sense, but I know there's a whole bunch of people here listening today that are like me, that when you write yourself into the script or even say that about, I need to take care of myself and you put myself first and make myself a priority, that logically that stuff makes sense, but emotionally, you don't even feel good saying that stuff. I always have something to do. I have always got people who have needs. I have people who are looking for me. There's more demands that I could ever possibly meet, and I tried to meet them for many, many years. What's happening now is after the vacations, the kids' commitments, Bev time, Brian and Bev time, Brian's actually written himself into the schedule. So my calendar now has time blocking, where I have days and times blocked out by the week, month, quarter, and year that are just things that I'm doing for myself. It might be with somebody, it might be you know, playing a bit of golf, it might be doing a bit of this, might be doing a bit of that. I'm going to go home and take a short trip home just to see the folks. They're 86 years of age, living by themselves. Boom, I'm just going to go. I have these things built into the schedule where there's a little bit of Brian time. Now that I have those five things established, I hand my calendar to the company. 
So all of these demands, the 16 departments, the thousands of clients, the dozens of podcasts, the uh, dozens of seminars, the 4,000 requests, the boards they want me to serve on, the ministries they want me to speak to, the things they want me to give to, all the different things that are pulling at my schedule left, right, and center. There's more time available on the schedule than what I've already committed to with the previous five, but the previous five have gotten in there first. They're the priority. So they don't take the largest quantity of time. They take the time that's needed. And so the largest quantity of time is still to the business, but the business gets a handle on my schedule after the other priorities have been established. I learned that very early on in my sales career, and I have maintained that, and all that's happened is there used to not be a lot of Bev time. That got in there first. Then there wasn't enough Brian and Bev time, and there was no Brian time written in there. Those three things are now added in. And so, you know, the company gets to then sit down with me and go over the schedule and say, we need this, we need this, we need this, we need this. And then number seven is giving back and serving. Now, giving back and serving has always been in my schedule, but it used to come before Bev time and Brian and Bev time and Brian time. And now what I find is when I actually feed my own soul, when I actually take the time to do the things I need to do, when I am giving and when I am serving, there's no aftertaste. There's never a resentment. There's never a difficulty. I have a greater sense of joy. I don't know if me sharing that has any benefit for you at all, but I'm just sharing with you. This is what I do and how I do it. I'm a pretty transparent fella, and I feel like in order to apply things, something as personal as this message today, what matters most, the only way I could do it was share from my own experience. And I hope in some capacity that understanding your priorities, what you value, what you need, what you want, you already know these things. It's just when you commit them to writing, it's going to sharpen it and make it clear. When you recap your priorities, what you believe, what you've learned, and what you live on a day-to-day basis, looking at your calendar, take a look at your schedule and see where you're actually living. When you do those physical exercises, then it can show up in the plan. And then you write down the what, then you work on the how, and then you get the when, and that becomes the schedule. And guess what? If you put it in the schedule, it happens. Whatever gets written down gets done, is my experience. And so now you're living out your values. And guess what? You'll see that the stress starts to dissipate. You'll see that the joy starts to increase. You'll see that it might not be that important to anybody else, but it'll be very important to you to you and those you love. And at the end of the day, that's the good stuff. Now, as I finish here today, I'm going to break from a little bit of tradition. I do hope you enjoy the show. If, if it's valuable for you, I hope you share it with others. But I'm going to do something today that I've never done before, and that is I'm going to read the lyrics of a song. Now, I love music. All Irishmen love music. That's what kept the pubs open later. But coming to America, I got exposed to two types of music I'd never really heard of called country and western okay you know i'm a guy who was raised on u2 so country and western has been a bit of a uh, an adjustment and i have no doubt i i've always loved johnny cash and things like that and not all the country music does it for me but one of the things about country music is a lot of them are great at telling stories and one of the fellows who's great at telling stories is a guy named kenny chesney and i thought today that to finish up this would be great for the subject matter on what matters most Kenny Chesney in his song, it's called The Good Stuff. And he's telling a story. He's a recently married guy. He and his wife have their first big row, and he heads over to a pub. And he meets a guy who uh, seems like he owns the pub or is running the pub, who has a little more snow on the rooftop and a few more gray hairs in his goatee, who kind of shares with this fella some advice. And the advice is really about what the good stuff is and it's another way of saying what matters most so here's the song I hope you enjoy it when I hear this song it really always stirs me and I hope it'll do something for you there today so Kenny says well me and my lady had our first big fight so I drove around till I saw the neon light of a corner bar and it just seemed right so I pulled up not a soul around but the old bar keep down at the end looking half asleep but he walked up and said what'll it be and I said the good stuff he didn't reach around for the whiskey he didn't pour me a beer his old blue eyes got kind of misty and he said well you can't find that here 
Because it's the first long kiss on a second date. Mama's all worried when you get home late and dropping the ring in the spaghetti plate because your hands are shaking so much. And it's the way she looks with the rice in her hair, eating burnt suppers the whole first year, and asking for seconds to keep her from tearing up. Yeah, man, that's the good stuff. He grabbed a carton of milk and he poured a glass, and I smiled and I said, I'll have some of that. And we sat there and we talked as an hour passed, like old friends. I saw a black and white picture and it caught my stare. It was a pretty girl with bouffant hair, and he said, That's my Bonnie, taken about a year after we wed. He said, I spent five years in the bar when the cancer took her from me. But I've been sober for three years now because the one thing that's stronger than the whiskey was the sight of her holding my baby girl. The way she adored that string of pearls, I gave her the day that our youngest boy Earl married his high school love. And it's a new t-shirt saying I'm a grandpa, being right there as our time got small, and holding her hand when the good Lord called her home. Yeah, man, that's the good stuff. He said, when you get home, she'll start to cry. When she says I'm sorry, say so am I. Look into those eyes so deep in love and drink it up. Because that's the good stuff. I hope today you haven't found me to be preachy or teachy. I just hope today that you heard from someone who's trying to share his heart with you. From not only the mistakes I've made in my own life, but the things that have worked right. I have talked to thousands of people, and I have met with hundreds and hundreds, and I've seen people who have a lot of knots in their rope that maybe don't need to have as many. And I think what matters most is all about what's the good stuff for you. Keeping perspective on that, you know, establishing those priorities, living by your principles, and putting it into your plan. And I think when you do that, you'll be living the good life, and that's the good stuff. Well, as I leave you today, let me leave you with the phrase I always do. May the roads rise up to meet you. May the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. And that's the good stuff, too. We'll see you next time. God bless. It's the first long kiss on a second day. Mama's all worried when you get home late. Dropping the ring in the spaghetti plate. Cause your hands are shaking so much. It's the way that she looks with her rice in her hair Eating burnt suppers the whole first year And asking for seconds to keep her from tearing up Yeah, man, that's the good stuff That's the good stuff